At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. As a special bonus, today's episode is an excerpt from my new book, The Ice Pick Surgeon, which comes out July 13th. The Ice Pick Surgeon takes a look at scientists throughout history who got so obsessed with some topic or idea that they went way too far in pursuing it, trampling ethical boundaries and often committing crimes in the name of science. In short, the book fuses all the illicit thrill of true crime stories with the wonder of scientific discovery, and it's my most gripping book yet. So I hope you can pre-order a copy of The Ice Pick Surgeon today. Also, as a reminder, this is the final episode in the Disappearing Spoon's first great season with the Science History Institute. We'll be back in the fall with more episodes. In the meantime, for your science history fix, check out the Science History Institute's flagship podcast called Distillations at distillations.org. Now, on with today's episode. According to legend, America's first anatomy riot started with a crass joke. It was a spring afternoon in 1788. A medical student at New York's General Hospital was dissecting a woman's body in a lab there, cutting into her arm with a scalpel. Suddenly, he realized he wasn't alone. A gang of boys was peeking into the window, gawking wide-eyed at a real-life dead person. <sighs> Not again. Their gaping annoyed the student, who wanted to work in peace. So, to spook the boys... He reportedly grabbed the flayed arm in front of him and waved it at them. Yoo-hoo! Then he hollered, This is your mother's arm. I just dug it up. Har-har. Unfortunately, one of the boys had just lost his mother, and that boy ran straight home to his father, bawling his eyes out. The father, in turn, marched out to his late wife's grave with a shovel and started digging. He soon got to the bottom and he found exactly what he expected there. Nothing. Her grave was empty. He marched back home furious. And the thing was, he was not alone. There were hundreds of other people in New York who were every bit as furious with the doctors at the hospital, 
They were sick and tired of abuse at the hands of the scientific body snatchers. From the Science History Institute, this is Sam Keen and the Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciency history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. The roots of American anatomy riots trace back to Great Britain. Throughout the 1700s, people in Britain feared that dissection after death would leave their bodies mangled on Judgment Day, when God would raise the dead. Britons also viewed dissection as shameful, a naked body lying there, poked and prodded. So government officials banned dissections there. Still, the British Crown knew that doctors needed bodies for training and medical research. So the government did supply medical schools with a few executed criminals. In fact, judges would explicitly sentence criminals to death and dissection as a way to wring a little more punishment out of rogues after death. Unfortunately, these sentences often led to unseemly scenes at public hangings. There were so few bodies available and so much demand for them that anatomy students from rival schools often got into fistfights over corpses. In their haste, students sometimes even yanked people off the gallows who were not dead yet. Their necks had not broken in the drop, and they'd merely passed out from lack of air, only to pop awake again at the last second on the dissection table. Given the shortage of bodies, British anatomists felt that to push their science forward, they had no choice but to rob graves. Sometimes they enlisted their students for help. Being students, they would get stinking drunk and storm the local churchyard after midnight for fresh bodies. To them, it was all a ghoulish game. Other anatomists outsourced the work to professionals, full-time grave robbers called resurrectionists. The best resurrectionist could expose a coffin and strip the body out in 15 minutes flat. Then they'd schlep the body across town and slink into an alley behind an anatomist's house. They typically got two pounds per body, about $250 today. It was good money. In Scotland, two enterprising fellows even started murdering people and selling those bodies just for extra cash. The occasional murder aside, the British government mostly looked the other way at body snatching. Again, officials knew that young doctors and surgeons needed bodies to train with. Otherwise, they'd be learning anatomy on the fly, perhaps while elbow-deep inside living people, a ghastly possibility. Plus, frankly, it was easy for officials to look the other way, since it wasn't their loved ones being stolen. It was poor people. Rich families could afford deterrence against grave robbing, like so-called mort safes. These iron cages surrounded the coffins underground and made the bodies hard to steal. The rich also hired private guards to watch over their dearly departed. Meanwhile, the poor could not afford these defenses, so anatomists and grave robbers preyed on them. Now, as a former British colony, the United States inherited most British traditions. This included both the popular prejudice against dissections, as well as the scientific justification for robbing graves. And just like across the pond, the poor suffered most of the consequences in America. The hardest-hit groups here included American Indians, 
immigrants, especially German and Irish immigrants, and black people, both enslaved and free. As a result of all this, there was widespread hatred for doctors and anatomists in New York City by 1788. Now, we don't know whether the medical student who waved the flayed arm had actually robbed the grave of the boy's mother. Perhaps someone else did, or perhaps the body disappeared for another reason. But the boy's father didn't care. His wife was missing, and someone was going to pay. And when he stormed the hospital, hordes of people rallied to his side. People who'd seen their own wives go missing, or their sons or aunts, or who were simply sick and tired of being exploited. For once, they decided to see how the rich doctors liked having their guts spilled. The mob arrived at the hospital hundreds of people strong. And upon seeing them, the doctors and anatomists panicked. Most fled on foot. One scampered up and hid inside a chimney. The mob proceeded to take over the hospital, dragging equipment into the street to smash it and dragging specimens outside to burn them. The mob also grabbed several stolen bodies inside in various states of decay and reburied them. Trashing the hospital did not quench the mob's anger, though. In fact, as news about the mob spread, its numbers swelled overnight. The next day, several thousand people marched on another medical building at Columbia University. Alexander Hamilton himself had to stand on the steps and beg people not to destroy it. In the meantime, New York City's mayor had jailed several medical scientists for their own safety, since the prison was the stoutest building in town. The mob was not deterred, however. 5,000 people eventually gathered outside the prison, smashing its windows and tearing down a fence. Several people were heard to howl, Bring out your doctors! However tense, things still might have ended peacefully if not for what happened next. At dusk, the terrified mayor called in the militia. He also begged local political leaders to come by and help restore order. These leaders included a revolutionary war general and John Jay, a future chief justice of the Supreme Court. Jay and the general pleaded with the mob for peace. But the crowd was unmoved. What did rich bastards like them know about having their loved ones go missing? Suddenly, a rock streaked through the air. It clobbered John Jay in the skull, cracking his head open. Then a brick came flying in, and it beamed the Revolutionary War general. And as he staggered back, bloody and dazed, he hissed at the mayor to have the militia fire already. Technically, this was not an order, just a suggestion. But the soldiers were already spooked and didn't need any more encouragement. When the general said fire, they snapped their rifles up and let loose on the crowd. Suddenly, there was bedlam in the street. Bravely, a few commoners rushed the militia and attacked them, and things were no doubt touch and go for a few minutes. But the soldiers' firepower won out. They quickly dispersed the mob and ended the riot. The exact casualties remain unknown, but according to some reports, by the time the smoke cleared, 20 dead bodies were lying in the street. The riot had started over one corpse and ended with many more. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up 
and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture. No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in True Accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., The New York riot was hardly an anomaly. At least 17 American anatomy riots took place before the U.S. Civil War. In Connecticut and Boston, in Baltimore and Philadelphia, in Cleveland and St. Louis. And body snatching itself was practiced nationwide for much of the 1800s. The most notorious body snatch involved U.S. Senator John Harrison of Ohio. Harrison was the son of former President William Henry Harrison and the father of future President Benjamin Harrison. But to resurrectionists, he was just a payday. So after his death in 1878, Harris was dug up, stripped naked, and laid out for dissection. His family had to storm into the local hospital at the last second to save him. Eventually, the pleas from doctors for more bodies to dissect got to be too much as did the continual threat of more riots. So in the 1800s, most U.S. states passed so-called anatomy acts, or bone bills. These laws allowed medical schools to take unclaimed bodies from hospitals and poorhouses and dissect them, rather than dig bodies out of graves. This quieted the popular fury. But if the bone bills cut down on the riots, these laws still seemed ethically dubious to many people, even at the time. Because once again, the burden for supplying bodies for science fell exclusively on the poor. After all, it wasn't the well-heeled and well-connected who were dying unclaimed in poorhouses. Given the state of society at the time, perhaps the bone bills were the best compromise that could be expected. But here's the thing about this story that really grabs me. It's clear in retrospect that using unclaimed bodies was not only ethically dicey, but scientifically dubious as well. Because as crazy as this sounds, poor people can actually have different anatomies. 
Compared to the middle and upper classes, poor people suffer from chronic stress at much higher rates, stress of all kinds. Poor people generally have worse health, for instance, and are exposed to more pollutants. And especially back in the 1800s, many of them faced eviction and starvation on a regular basis. Now, one way the body deals with stress is by pumping out hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. Specifically, these hormones are pumped out by certain glands. And when these glands are constantly in overdrive, their size and shape can change. Some of these glands swell in size, like overworked muscles. Other glands exhaust themselves and shrivel up. Can you see the trap here? Doctors back then learned anatomy by dissecting poor people. But poor people who endured constant stress often had shriveled or enlarged glands. As a result, the doctors who dissected them had a distorted view of what those glands should look like. There was systematic error in their science. This wasn't just an academic worry, either. It had real, deadly consequences. In the 1800s, scores of babies started dying from what we now call SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Naturally, doctors wanted to know the cause, so they started performing autopsies on SIDS babies. And they noticed that most SIDS babies had one gland in particular that looked enormous, the thymus glands in their chests. In reality, these were normal-sized thymus glands. They only seemed large compared to the wilted thymus glands that doctors usually found in babies from poor families. These poor babies had often died of chronic and stressful ailments like diarrhea or malnutrition. In contrast, SIDS babies died suddenly by definition, before diarrhea or malnutrition could alter their glands. As a result, their thymus glands were normal-sized. But doctors didn't know this, and they developed a theory that SIDS was caused by gargantuan thymus glands, which were supposedly suffocating babies by crushing their windpipes. And here's where things turned deadly. Because in the early 1900s, many doctors began blasting babies' thymus glands with radiation in order to shrink them. Thousands upon thousands of children suffered radiation burns as a result not to mention depleted glands and depleted hormones. Many also developed cancer later in life, leading to an estimated 10,000 premature deaths. Exploiting the poor was unethical in the first place, but it's a sad example of how an unethical scientific setup can lead to shoddy scientific results as well. Ultimately, we don't know whether the cadaver who sparked the New York anatomy riot in 1788 was actually that boy's mother. But she was somebody's mother, or somebody's daughter, or somebody's dear friend. The medical student meant no harm in waving the flayed arm. He just wanted to scare the boys off and get back to doing science. But to those on the outside looking in, his little joke seemed more like a matter of life and death. This is the Disappearing Spoon podcast, brought to you by the Science History Institute. Find out more about their library, museum, and multimedia magazine at sciencehistory.org. Make sure you check out the Science History Institute's other awesome podcast, Distillations. 
You can find their in-depth narrative stories and interviews about everything from space junk to sex, drugs, and migraines anywhere you get your podcast and on their website, distillations.org. You can find more incredible stories from my books at samkeen.com. You can also book me as a speaker at your school or event. If you like this podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. It costs as little as seven cents per day. You can also get bonus episodes and signed books. Please spread the word to others as well and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or other places. This episode was written by me, Sam Keen. It was mixed by Jonathan Pfeffer and produced by Mariel Carr and Rigoberto Hernandez. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.